we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Um, we started our Advent series and actually started our new series last week in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be spending the, a number of months in the book of Luke. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 26 through 38. With that, Lisa Jones is going to come up and, and speak, and, and uh, not speak, but uh, read the scripture to us. So please uh, stand as we give honor for God's word and listen to God's word for God's people. morning. Publicly want to say sorry to Cyrus if he's here. Alright, um, Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this story. Because it declares something that we all need to hear this morning, wherever we are in life. And that is that nothing is impossible with God. And so, Lord, there are individuals in here again that are coming in here with heavy hearts. There are some in here that are coming on. Uh, over-the-top joyous mountains. Lord, we know it's all a gift from You. And Lord, we pray again that our eyes would see that through this story of the virgin conception, that nothing is impossible with You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, go ahead and have a seat. All right. Well, I don't know about you, but I spent some time in uh, Target this week. It is the season for me to actually grace a, a, a store once a year, and it's around Christmas time, just kidding, but I was in Target, and I was, I was passing by the, uh, the toy aisle, and I saw these young parents, you know, they're trying to find that, that, that perfect gift for their, for their little, little shaver, their little guy, or their little princess, you know, and, and they're looking at Star Wars figures, and Legos, and Barbies, and what, what is the toy of choice this year for the kids, parents? Just, just Baby Yoda? Who is, what the heck's his name? Quagwan? No, no, what's his name? Grogu, Grogu, right? All right, so you're looking for Baby Grogu, right? Right? And so my heart, my heart got a little sad. Heart got a little sad passing by that aisle, because, you know, our kids are older, um, and we don't, we don't shop in those aisles anymore. And then I, then I walked by the next couple aisles, and, and immediately my heart went from sadness to joy, uh, because I went past the diaper aisle, Right? I'm like, man, I'm glad I don't have to be there anymore, shopping that aisle anymore. Uh, our family, our wife, uh, our wife, 
<laughs> my wife, Rita and I, we spent over 10 years in a row in diapers. And so, uh, yes and amen, when my heart was turned to joy, why am I going to change any other diaper right now? So, but Rita and I love picking out gifts for our kids, and we still do. It's still, it's still a joy. We want to bless our kids, but especially when they were younger, to, to get that gift that would just, you know, that anticipation that when they opened it up, you'd see the joy on their face. We love that. Well, let me give you guys some Christmas suggestions this year that can have a tremendous impact on the, on the people around you. And, and it might not cost a lot of money, but it might cost some sacrifice. And so here's the first one. To your employer, give them hard work. If you're in customer service, give them good service. To your enemy, give them love. And your enemy, I'm think, talking about someone who has a different political view than you. Give them love. Uh, to your friends, give them encouragement. Children, do we have any children? All right, children under 13, raise your hand. Children under 13, raise your hand. All right, this is to you. This is the gift that you can give to your parents. Give them the gift of obedience, yeah? Amen, all right. Children, if you're over 13, raise your hand. If you're over 13, give this gift to your parents. Gratitude, thankfulness. Thankfulness. Husbands, husbands, raise your hands in here. Look to your wife and, and say, I'm going to give you the, the gift of love. And not just love, but sacrificial love. Ladies, raise both your hands. Wives, raise both your hands because you're going to give your husband respect. Parents, give to your child a godly example. Siblings, give to your brother and sister grace. And then there's a general gift I think we can all give, and as the theme of this message, is that we can give the gift of hope to those who are in despair or who are in depressed this season. Uh, Christmas is a time of joy for many people. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of, of good food and parties and, and great cookies and fellowship. But also, this time of year, the depression rate and even the suicide rate goes up. Because people are lonely. Again, they're, they're depressed. They're despair. And there's a lot of reasons why, but maybe a couple are. One, there's a lot of people that are isolated. They're isolated. Even though they might seem in your circles and your friends, and they might seem to have it all together, and they might seem to be joyful, but they're lonely. Uh, they're isolated. Some, some uh, this is a difficult time, and, and family tensions and, and strife is elevated. Or maybe this is the first Christmas where you've lost that loved one, that friend or that family member. Um, that, could, that could really hurt. As you, any of you guys know, my mom passed away on Christmas Eve many years ago. So it's, it's always a joyful, there's always two conflicting things of joy and sadness that are, are competing for my heart. And so look around. Keep your eyes up. Keep your ears open to those around you as you engage in conversation in your friend group, in your family, and give them the gift of hope. And that's what this passage is all about this morning is the gift of hope. Because of Mary's miraculous pregnancy, we can all have hope and we can all give hope because we are reminded that nothing is impossible with God. That's what this story tells us. That's why it's written, or one of the reasons why it's written, there's nothing impossible for God. 
When we usually think about hope, we, we think of hope in uncertain terms, un- uncertain expectations, uh, almost like, oh, I wish that would happen. I hope that would happen. I, I looked up the top five hopes or wishes, and there's not really a top five list, but I looked at a number of different you know, lists, and, and I kind of came up with my top five. And this is what was kind of the, the theme of most of those lists, <coughs> that people hope, they, they wish to escape the rat race. The rat race. Uh, they hope or they wish to be famous. They hope or they wish to, to be wealthy, uh, to be healthy. They hope and they wish ultimately to be happy. That was number one, is to be happy. It, it, again, it's a, a, this hope, the way the world thinks about it, is an uncertain desire or, or dream or a wish. Kind of like if, if you're a CU Buff fan and just the hiring of uh, Deion Sanders as the new head football coach, you guys are like, oh man, we've arrived now, we got Deion, the hope. And I'm just saying, like, how'd that work out with Russell Wilson and Denver Broncos, huh? That's all right, I'm in the same boat as a Steeler fan, we both suck, so that's all right. But anyways, but that's how the world thinks of hope, but not as a Christian. As a Christian, we don't think of hope that way. As a Christian, biblical hope, as R.C. Sproul says, is hope is the anchor of the soul. Hope is the anchor of your soul and my soul. It gives stability to the Christian life. Hope is not simply a wish, but rather it is that which latches onto the certainty, not the uncertainty, but the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made and will fulfill. Simply stated, hope is hoping in God. That's why you see all over the Bible, it's hope in God, hope in God, hope in God, because as we hope in God, we understand He is the ultimate provider because His promises are certain. What He says will come to pass will come to pass, so hope in God. And ever since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, there's been a longing and a hoping that we've, we've been looking at, and in particular with the end of Nehemiah, when the Old Testament can ended, there's a longing, there's a hoping for this Messiah, this serpent crusher that was promised way back in Genesis chapter 3 that hasn't come yet. There's a longing, there's a hoping for this Savior, this Deliverer that would come and set us free of our greatest need, our bondage towards sin. And this hope and this coming it isn't about if He's coming, but it was about when He's coming. When He's coming. In Luke chapter 1, that promise of hope is realized. The, the, the coming is now. The when is upon us. And that's why we have hope this morning, because the greatest, our greatest need, your greatest need, our greatest enemy, sin, would be dealt with by our Savior Christ, the serpent crusher. And now, since, since God has come, since He has squashed and fulfilled our greatest need, He's saved us, He can now take care of all of our other little needs. So we can have hope. We can have hope this morning. And that's what Luke chapter 1 is all about. So let's dive in. First, we see the stage of hope is set in Luke 1, 26-27. The stage of hope is set for you and me. Again, after 500 years of silence from the Lord, as we looked at last week, the angel Gabriel is dispatched from the throne room of God to come to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we talk about this miraculous birth, that this miraculous birth that would come to this older couple. 
this much older couple. In fact, this is why it's miraculous, because they were past the childbirthing years. They had no children, and she was barren. And yet the angel, after 400 years of silence, comes and says, the time has come. Your son, John, will be the forerunner, will be the one who's going to announce the main event, the Christ is coming. He would be the one that would stand up at the pulpit and say, now batting Jesus Christ or the President of the United States. And he would introduce him. This is the forerunner. That's what John's responsibility and role was. He was the forerunner to point people that the Messiah has come. And then today, we see the announcement of the Messiah, of the Savior, and Him coming to this little unknown couple in this podunk backcountry town in Nazareth, up in Galilee. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we get this time frame of when this has taken place. It says in the sixth month, it's not the sixth month of the Jewish calendar, but it's the sixth month of Mary's cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, of the pregnancy of John, which you read about in verse 36. And we see again, this is Gabriel again. It's Gabriel. It's this angel again that's been dispatched by God. Gabriel seems to have a, a special place in the Lord's heart because throughout Scripture, we see that whenever uh, God wants to announce an incredible prophecy, He, he, just, he, he sends Gabriel. Gabriel is his main angel, his, his main messenger. We see that here in Luke and Matthew, but we also go back to Daniel chapter 9 and we see that, that Gabriel was one to dispense to Daniel to talk about that great prophecy of the 70 weeks. Gabriel is one of, of really three angels that are named in the Bible. Gabriel is one. Who are the other ones? Michael. And the third one is Satan, Lucifer. So one of three angels that are named. And again, he has a special role in God's plan. Gabriel has been appointed by God to announce Jesus, Emmanuel, the Messiah's imminent arrival. An arrival via the virgin conception and then birth. This is a great moment in the expectation of hope for the coming Messiah, the Deliverer, that we can't emphasize enough. This longing that these people, that Joseph and uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and all of Israel was waiting, we can't, we can't emphasize enough the longing that they had for the Messiah to come. It was a big deal. And typically we recognize you know, Easter as the, the greatest day, the, the turning point, the greatest day of hope for humanity. But we also know that, that the birth of Christ and Easter are two in one can't have one without the other. You can't have Easter without the birth because we understand that Jesus was born to die. And so this sets the stage of hope for us. But it's really been set up even centuries before Luke chapter 1 and the, the angel being dispatched. Centuries before there was hope. Isaiah chapter 7, there's two more important details in, in verses 26 and 27 uh, because they're fulfillment of prophecy. We have Isaiah chapter 7 where it talks about this virgin. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and, the she, and he shall be called Emmanuel. 
And then we see uh, of, the, of the house of David, which is a massive implication because that's pointing us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 about this messianic, messianic kingdom prophecy of this king that's going to come and not rule and reign for just 25 years over Israel, but rule and reign for eternity. That he is going to set up his, his kingdom for eternity for every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So really the stage has been set as we can go back even all the way to Genesis chapter 3 where God promises the serpent crusher to come and save us from our sins. So the stage is set. Secondly, we see the message of hope. The message of hope for you and me this morning is in Luke chapter 1, 28 through 31. Look at verse 28. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Mary, you have found favor with God. Now what what does that mean? Because we have some some friends maybe in some other faith, the Catholic faith, that that kind of twists this Scripture. This is not saying that Mary is on the same line as Jesus. We don't deify Jesus. Mia, uh, Mia. Mary is not full of grace. She is uh, not a dispenser of grace. She's a recipient of grace. This, this text found favor with God. It's not saying that Mary was sinless or that she is somewhat only uniquely special outside of God's grace. No, we even see, we'll see uh, next week in Mary's song that Mary even recognizes her sin where she says, My God and my Savior. She was favored. In other words, she was given grace. Not because there's something special about her, but because God is gracious. And He's the one that gives grace to men, women, and children. She is favored because the Lord decides to be with her. Just like all of us in this room. We are all favored by God. Because He is with us. And He has shown you grace and me grace in numerous ways. It should remind us of Genesis chapter 6-8, this little phrase, you have found favor with God. It reminds us of Noah. But Noah in the midst of a deep and dark time in the, on the face of the earth that, that God looked down Noah and He said, and Noah found favor in the Lord's sight. Again, it was God giving grace, giving favor to Noah. We don't worship Noah and we don't worship Mary. They are not dispensers of grace. They are recipients of grace just like you and me. Now, Mary does have a unique role to play. In fact, she's had the, uh, a role that no other woman has ever played. She was the mother of Jesus. God decided to bestow that honor and privilege on her. She was the mother of Jesus. She has a unique role in the story of redemption. And that's good, and that's special, and we can give her that honor. And that's right. We can highlight that. But again, you are special as well. You and I, like Mary, have a role to play in redemption. We have been given gifts. We have been given responsibilities. We have been given roles that you and I play by the grace of God to further His kingdom, just like Mary. And again, it's all given to us by the grace of God and not because you're great or I'm great. Amen? Mary's a teenager, probably, doesn't, doesn't say she is, but she's probably a teenager. I have one teenager left, Madison. Who's got teenagers in here? Teen, if you're a teenager, raise your hand. I already got some teenagers in here. I want you to think, put yourself in Mary's shoes, especially you young ladies that are teenagers. This angel shows up, again, she's in this podunk 
city in the backwoods of Wyoming somewhere, right? And uh, this angel, this being just shows up and he says, greetings, O favored one. How would you respond? This is how she responded, but she was greatly troubled or literally freaking out, right? She was freaking out at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And this is the right response. Everyone in Scripture that comes in contact with an angel, as we saw Zechariah last week, they, they freak out. And the same with Mary. She, she freaks out. She doesn't know what to do with this. And Gabriel notices that. She, he notices that this teenage girl is freaking out, so he comforts her. Look at verse 31. And he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We have another account where Gabriel goes and shows himself uh, to Joseph and Matthew. And this is what the angel Gabriel says to Joseph. She, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why the name Jesus? Jesus was a common name back then. It's a name like John today. It's a common name. There's nothing special about the name of Jesus except that in Matthew it says because He will save people from their sins. So this naming of the child is specific because Jesus means the Lord is salvation. And so there's a very, there's a very reason, there's a purpose why Gabriel and God Himself gives Jesus the name Jesus because that's ultimately why He's come to save His people from their sins. And then we see in verse 32, we, we get more identification of who this Jesus is. We get more of a, a biography. It's like when you read that book and you look on the back of who this author is and all the things that he's accomplished. Well, this is, this is future. This is what <coughs> your son Jesus will accomplish, Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, this is all reminding the uh, Marian of 2 Samuel chapter 7 of who this incarnate child is going to be. Her child. This is the message of hope for you and me this morning. Because not only does this story tell us about this eternal King that the world has been longing for that's going to conquer the serpent crusher, that's going to rule forever, but this is the same King that's going to fulfill the, the prophecy of being the suffering servant. The one that is going to die for his people's sins. He also fulfills, again, the suffering prophecies in Isaiah 53 and other places that this, this child will save you and me from our sins. And that's why we have hope this morning, because, again, the greatest gift, the greatest need that we had was to be saved from our sins, and it has been accomplished by this Son as we look back. There, there might have been a little bit more dialogue going on with Mary and the angel. It's not in here, but I, I, I'm, this is just airing my thoughts. That, that along this dialogue, that, that Gabriel also might have said something like this to Mary. Mary, do you, do you remember sitting in the synagogue you know, maybe three weeks ago? A lot like us, like we're doing now. And the priest opened up Isaiah chapter 7 and he read through Isaiah 7 to Isaiah 9. And he talked about this virgin who's going to give birth to the Messiah. Mary, do you remember that? Do you remember that? That's you. That's, that's the prophecy coming to pass. That's you, Mary. That's what Isaiah has written centuries before to talk about the coming of the Messiah. And that coming Messiah is coming, and He's coming through you. You will be the virgin. 
And then Isaiah 9, this is, this is, this is going to be more of what your son is going to be and what he's going to do. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Mary, that, that child in Isaiah 9 is your child. That's who you're going to carry in your womb for nine months. That's who you're going to give birth to. The Messiah the Savior, the King. Gabriel makes it clear that her baby will be the Deliverer, the King of the world that we've been waiting for is now here. It's an incredible thought. It's an amazing thought. It's an unbelievable, it's an impossible thought and interaction. And yet, this is how Gabriel comforts Mary. You will be the mother of the Messiah. It's a good greeting. Now I want us to think about that. I mean, because God could have sent Jesus as the king, as a, as a young man already in his 30s. We could have, we could have skipped you know, 33 of his, his formative years and he could have just become a man on the scene and start ruling and reigning and start saving people. But God chose to bring him as a baby. And why is that? Because when we think about it, is not a baby the definition of hope? Isn't a baby hope personified? It's like when we hold that little infant in our arms, what mother and father does not look at that child and go, oh, the opportunities, what this child could be. Doesn't that make sense that our Savior came as a, a baby, an infant? Because he is hope personified. What will this little child accomplish? What will he or she become? A doctor, a nurse in the medical field saving lives? Maybe, maybe wants to be a judge or a lawyer to pursue justice? Or, or maybe they will be an engineer to, to build things, to build cities? Or maybe an artist? Maybe a sculptor? Maybe an entrepreneur? Maybe a teacher? maybe a professional athlete, maybe a geologist. What will this child be? Babies are hope personified. Anything is possible when we hold this little child in our arms. And for Mary, she would be no different, except the angel Gabriel told her who her son was going to be. Gave her direction. Gave her information. Gave, him, gave her his biography of what this little baby boy will be. And that, that kind of puts the rest, the controversy, right, of the, the great Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? <laughs> uh, yeah, Mary knew. <laughs> Gabriel told her what her child was going to be, right? Uh, Mary knew, sort of. I mean, she grasped it, but she didn't fully grasp it. I mean, because any teenager, whether you're a young gal or even Joseph, Mary and Joseph, these two young teenagers, they didn't grasp the concept of what their son and who he was going to be and all the implications that meant. But yeah, she did know. She knew her son would be the hope of the world and that he would save them from their sins. And that leads us to our third point, hope applied. 
Hope applied for you and me this morning. Verses 34 and 38. Luke 1, 34. We see even though Mary was freaked out, she, she gained her composure and we see she says this, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? That's a good question. It's a great question, right? I mean, we think about Zechariah, think about Elizabeth, and they're barren, and their, their pregnancy was a miracle pregnancy, but we might say that's a little M, a little miracle pregnancy, because we've, we've seen people in the past who are barren have children through biological means, of men and women knowing each other, and then there's, there's a child. That's what happened with Zechariah and Elizabeth, but still miraculous because she was barren and they were past childbearing age. But, but this, this pregnancy, this conception was a big M miracle conception because Mary was a virgin. She didn't know a man. Literally what it means here. Isaiah pointed that out centuries before that, that the, the carrier of the Messiah, this is the young girl, was going to be a virgin. Luke points out she's a virgin. Matthew points out a virgin. And then Mary herself points out, I'm a virgin. And we know there's an emphasis here. There's an emphasis that the, the Lord is about to do something big. This is a miraculous conception. And she says, how will this be? Like, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. It's, it's not biologically possible. I've known no man. And we know that a virgin uh, does not conceive unless she lays with a man. This is impossible. It's a good question. Now, now we kind of think if we were here last week, we were like, wait a second, didn't Zachariah ask the same question? He got, he got punished? No, he, he asked a different question. His question wasn't, how will this be? His question was, how will I know? And again, we saw that there was doubt in his question. How will I know? So that was a, that was a bad question. This is a good question. So you ever ask, you ever hear the thing, there's no such thing as a bad question? Uh, yeah, there's, there's such thing as a bad question, right? Ask Zachariah. He got muted for nine months because of a bad question. There are bad questions, but Mary's question, how will this be? It's a good question because she's like, uh, biologically, this doesn't work out. I understand the birds and the bees. So she asks a question, an angel, and then Gabriel answers her and says this, well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Got it? Right? And you're like, oh, thank you. That explains everything, right? Now, to us, that, that might not explain everything, but, but I think it helps Mary a little bit. Because the language that the Gabriel uses here, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, uh, overshadow you is the same language that is used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Where, where the Holy Spirit was hovering over the void, the empty, the darkness of the earth. He overshadowed the earth. And then through God, through Him came life. And so she would have she put two and two together and it's like it's the same picture that the Holy Spirit, Mary, is going to overshadow you. And when it says the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow, there's no sexual connotations here. It not, has nothing to do with that. It's just going to overshadow you just like He did over the void and dark earth. He's going to overshadow your womb that's dark and void and empty. And He's going to create life. Jesus is going to be conceived. So at, at some level, this would actually make sense to Mary, even though it doesn't make sense to to us, and of course it doesn't fully explain it, but she would, she would kind of get it. 
This is what R.C. Sproul says again. This echoes the description account of the Holy Spirit's work in the original creation of the world. It reveals that this baby will will be a special creation with His Father being God Himself. And this has massive implications because then we say, therefore, it goes on, it says the child will be born and will be called holy. Will be, will be called holy, will be called set apart, pure, without sin, because he's the son of God. That's who this Messiah is, this who baby's father is, is, is God himself. Again, this is the uniqueness and the importance of this virgin conception. He was not conceived like all of us were conceived, and everyone was conceived since Genesis chapter 3 and sin entered the world in original sin. As David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin, uh, in, in sin my mother conceived me. That's the plight of all humanity outside of the fall. We've all been conceived in original sin, but not Jesus. He was holy. He was conceived, it was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and God the Father was His Father. This is massive implications for you and me. The importance of the virgin birth is because that Jesus was without sin at His conception, at His birth, and throughout His life. For this reason, so that He could be the perfect sacrifice. The perfect spotless Lamb of God to take away your sin and my sin. That's why this is such a big deal. That's why it's such a miraculous story. Well, that's the theological argument. We could, we could really wade in the weeds there, but let me just give you something really practical about why this story is so important for you and me this morning. Again, Mary asked a legitimate question in verse 34. And Gabriel answers her, and really can sum it up in verse 37. Look at verse 37. This is how he sums it up. The question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The answer, Mary... I know you're a virgin. I get that. I'm, a, I'm an angel. I understand your plight. But nothing will be impossible with God. That's really the answer. That, that's really the answer. Nothing is impossible with God. I love how the NIV puts it. For no word from God will ever fail. And that's where our hope is. Our hope is in God's Word and what He promises because it never fails. Nothing is impossible for God. He boils down Mary's hope and our hope with this truth. Nothing. Nothing is impossible for God. And again, this is going to remind Mary going back to Genesis. And it should remind us when we went through Genesis chapter 18 and 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 one of the first women we were introduced to as being barren, her name was Sarah, Abraham's wife. Remember her? And she was old in her age. And when she heard the promise of the God given to Abraham that you're going to bear a son, and through your line, this world is going to be blessed, do you remember what she did? She laughed. And God paused her and said, whoa, 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 Sarah, is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything too hard for God? And that's what He's saying here. That's what she would have thought. And let me ask you, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that nothing is impossible for God? Or do you have a little Sarah in you? Do you have a little doubt in you? Do you have a little laughter in you? It's impossible for God to forgive me of all my sins. He doesn't know exactly what I've done. 
It's impossible for God to meet all my financial needs or my health needs. It's impossible for God. He doesn't understand the strained relationship that I have with my dad, with my mom, or with my friend. It's impossible for God. My, my, my son is 45 years old and he still doesn't know the Lord. It's impossible for God to save him. Do you believe that nothing is impossible with God this morning? That's why you're here this morning. Why did the Lord bring you here? To encourage you this morning. To let you know that there is nothing impossible for God to do in your life. You may be going through the deepest valley of your life, but just remember nothing is possible with God. If the Lord can create life out of nothing, He can overcome your situation. If you're walking through tragedy, He can take tragedy and turn it into triumph. He can take impossible situations and turn them into joy. Let me give you a couple examples, real life examples. Uh, our son Nate, many guys know he's 23 years old. He's, uh, he's like off the charts allergic to peanuts. Like he's one of those kids like, like if he even sniffs peanut butter, he's gonna, he, could, you know, something, he could respond. He could have an allergic reaction. So we're going to Rita, uh, my wife's sister's wedding. I forget how old he is. He's like, he's like two years old maybe or something along those lines. He's a little tiger. He's a, he's a little man. He's a little boy. So he's a little bit loud, you know. Can be a little bit disruptive. And so uh, Rita's sister was like, hey, we don't want, you know, Nate, you know, try and nicely say like he's, he's loud. <laughs> he, he can be obnoxious. He, we want everyone to be focused on us, not on Nate screaming and yelling. We're like, okay, we get that, right? Um, so what we're going to have, and this friend volunteered to watch him. And Rita, you guys know my wife, but she's dialed in with her kids. And she had her to the lady. All right, he's deathly allergic to peanuts. Do not give him anything resembling with peanuts. In fact, the only thing you give him is what I'm giving you right now to feed him. And she had his little, little lunch prepared, right? And so... Do you got that? And this lady, and she's like, in, she's like a woman, like in her 50s. She's like, yeah, I got that. Okay, I got that. We're like, okay. So we go to the wedding. And at the reception, someone comes out to me and she's like, we need to go now. The lady gave your son peanuts. So I grabbed my wife. And we were in a Chevy Venture van. I turned that thing into a Formula One racing vehicle. And I'm weaving in and out of traffic. Scott Baggett, who's a sheriff, you had no chance to catch me on that one, boy. I was gone. Got her. It was over an hour later. When we got there and saw Nate, he looked like, <laughs> it's funny now, uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I mean, this kid was, you couldn't recognize him. His eyelids were so swollen his lips were swollen from the inside out. He was just like this plump. Grabbed him, threw him in the back of the van. Rita grabbed the EpiPen, just started jamming him in his legs. Got to the hospital. Hour, hour and a half later. I mean, the, the, the lady didn't even call 911. That would have been the right thing to do and the smart thing to do. Not waste time, come and get us. The doctor said, I got no explanation. He should be dead. That's how my mom passed away. Allergic reaction at a Christmas party. And so you can imagine the prayers that were going up. 
as we were driving. Lord, nothing's impossible for you. Save my kid. And he did. The Eastons. The Eastons. We just celebrated, or we, the ladies yesterday, uh, had a little baby shower, a little baby bash for Lindsay and Beck Easton. Again, nothing, nothing impossible for the Lord. This was a trying pregnancy. In fact, the doctors, I'm just going to briefly, you can talk to them for the specifics, but briefly, this is, pregnancy is not looking good. Baby's heart rate isn't what it's supposed to be. Basically, summarizing Aaron's term, we're going to have to terminate the pregnancy, possibly. You guys need to be ready for that. And of course, they're not ready for that. They're not going to terminate. They trust in God. So after a series of (coughs) office visits, they kept on putting out the prayers, put out the prayers, put out the prayers, pray, pray, pray. To the, they go in and they said, hey, this baby, we're going to have to, high chance of getting, not, not coming to fruition. Go home, come back tomorrow, and we'll see where we're at. Go home, everyone's praying, come back the next day. You know what the doctor said? It's like there's a whole new baby here. Baby's fine. No issues. Nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that? As you look at your life, as you look at your struggles, as you look at your plight, we need a healthy dose of Luke 1.37. Nothing is impossible with God. There's no valley too deep, no mountain too high, no river too wide for the Lord to overcome and work. One commentary put it like this, if God can take a virgin like Mary and give her a son, if God can take on human flesh and enter into human history as the man, Jesus Christ, if God can forgive our sins through His Son, Jesus' death on the cross, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then nothing is impossible for God. This is why we're hopeful this morning. This is why we sing with joy, even in the midst of difficulty and suffering. Because our God is the God of the impossible. And He's the one that will meet you where you're at. Again, this is a, a Scripture that we should put up all around us and be reminded of on a daily basis. Put it on your kitchen. Put it on your walls. Put it on your phone. Put it you know, as your ringtone. I don't know. Put it in your car dash. Nothing is impossible with God. There's no relationship He can't mend. There's no debt He can't cancel. There's no sin He can't forgive. And there's no person He can't save. He's the God of the impossible. And that's why we hope in Him. And that's why we've been given this story. And one of the reasons why we've been given this story this morning. That when we ask the question, Lord, I can't see how can this be that we get the words of the Lord Because nothing is impossible with the Lord. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is a message of hope. In fact, it's the only hope that this world needs and that will sustain it. It's a hope that not only looks back, we look back on hope, on this virgin conception, but it's a hope that looks forward. It's a hope that looks forward to the promises that God promised He would fulfill in your life and in mine. It was true of God's people back then before Isaiah and David and Lydia and all those before. 
that they would look forward to the Messiah, the Savior to come. It was as true of Mary and Joseph as they looked down at their little baby boy and they looked forward to the future and what he would accomplish. And it's the same of us today that, that we look back and see his first coming, but we look forward with hope and anticipation at his second coming. That our faith is a, it's a future faith. It's a future faith in the hopeful promise that, again, Christ is going to come and the second time He comes, He's not going to come as a suffering servant. He's going to come as the conquering King and He's going to lay and put to rest those that are against Him, His enemies, and raise up this new heaven and new earth where we will spend eternity with Him with no sickness, no suffering, only joy and abundant life. And how do we attain this hope? How do we continue to live in this Living hope, we walk by faith, just like Mary. Mary is a great guide and a great teacher to everyone in this building today. This teenage girl, again, from the backwoods of this little town in Galilee, ministers to you and to me to tell us and shows us how we are to respond to the promises of God. We respond by walking in faith. Look at the last verse in Luke 1, 38. And Mary said, this is just profound, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, let it be to me, or done according to me, according to your word. This is the ultimate confession of faith and worship. Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. And we know when the Lord's will is done, he gets the glory, and we get abundant joy, grace, and mercy, and hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for. Thank You for this familiar story. But Lord, I pray that this familiar story rejuvenated our hearts because we focused, like maybe we haven't had in the past, on that phrase, there is nothing impossible for God. Lord, I pray each and every individual in this room looks at Luke one thirty-seven, commits to memory, commits to meditate on it daily, uh, commits to having this as one of their life verses. When the going gets tough, the tough start believing that there is nothing impossible with God. Amen.